Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Explorinate Podcast. This week I speak to Nate and Annie, the married duo behind Wildermyth a game for XCOM fans that might like a fantasy setting or strategic RPG fans. So stay tuned. Something in the woods is very strange. Creatures lurking suffer worse than mange. No one knows what winter yet will bring. Welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, my name's Nate. And I'm Annie. And we're working on Wildermyth. Okay, so I constantly search for games, right? I'm constantly searching for strategy games, strategic RPGs, and your game, Wildermyth. Is it Wildermyth? Is that how you pronounce it? That's how we say it, yeah. Some people say Wildermyth, but we think that wil- the Wildermyth, Wilderness angle was what we were... So that, that's the canonical pronunciation. I like it. All right, canonical. I like that word too. So <laughs> Wildermyth... It caught my eye because of the art style. So I was just like, wow, this looks really cool and unique. And then I start to get to know more about it and, and read more about it. And I'm like, wow, this game looks like something that needs to be talked about. So what i like to do by starting off is just ask you guys to tell me about who you are and how you got into making Wildermyth. Yeah, yeah. So my name's Nate. I've been wanting to make games since I was very small. I've been in the game industry since, gosh, 2005 or so actually started in, in casual games because I was able to get a job there. I started doing QA and got into casual games and ended up making Flash games, worked on Kung Fu Panda World for a while, and then I got hired at Riot Games working on uh, the Air Client for League of Legends and was there for three and a half years. And that is sort of how we got the money to be able to do our own thing. But all that time, I've had like side projects and other stuff I've wanted to do. So uh, for me, it's sort of a lifelong dream to make my own thing. And I think this is like my sixth game startup. Not that I, well, not that I founded all of them myself and that they were all my projects, oh, but yeah, yeah. that I've been involved in over the years. Uh, Copper Dolphin Studios yeah. was a really yeah. early one that, that we started with some friends back in just out of college that like failed immediately. And then it was just a bunch <laughs> of series of other ones along the way. So this is sort of what I've been trying to do my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Annie. I do the art. I'm also married to Nate. Mm-hmm. I didn't come to the world of games until much later in life. We never we never had video games growing up. <laughs> it was not not a thing. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, I know. I know. So people always give me these references like, oh, do you remember playing such and such growing up? And I'm like, no, no, oh, not. Man. So I came to this from the world of like graphic design and illustration. I've been drawing my whole life. But games ended up being where I was able to get a job out of college. It was at one of the casual game startup that Nate was also working at. So that's that's, that's, its, own, that's its own story. But since then, I've worked on, um, gosh, 
worked at Heavy Iron for a while doing kind of a mix of different IPs. It was everything from like SpongeBob to a little bit of Pixar to, gosh, I don't know, all kinds of things. I did UI art for those guys. And then um, at a company called Game Salad, which didn't make games itself, but made software for making games. So there was a lot of quick prototyping you know, example games using this new, okay, we've got this new feature, like you guys, our little game team needs to make a game for it. And Andy, you're on the art. So it's, you know, a little bit of everything, background characters, user interface, which I think put me in a good position to, to try to tackle all of the art for one game here, which has been challenging at times, but really fun. (laughs) Yeah, I think every time I've ever spoken to a developer or development studio that is working on games, they usually say art probably takes the longest and is definitely the most expensive. So it's kind of cool that you're in-house almost. And <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know if this would have happened otherwise if you didn't have a programmer and an artist. Yeah. We're married to each other, so we're not paying them yeah. <laughs> hourly, <laughs> hourly wages. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I, I have to ask because I am married myself too. So how is it working with your spouse? I mean, we work on pretty different things most days like Mm -hmm. you'll be working on art for the next thing that we're going to implement and i'll be implementing the thing that that you drew last month so it's not it's not like a ton of close collaboration most days but we do that occasionally and it it goes all right i don't know i think we both learned to just like be careful with it (laughs) i I like that I think we lucked out. I like you a lot. <laughs> that is good. And I think we, I think we, we have a similar style of thinking, and especially after being together for like ten years. I think we've, I think we've developed our own language that we can get ideas across. Yeah, much quicker and much more clearly. Like we can make yeah. one little inside joke, and he'll immediately know like what I'm referring to or the mood that I'm going for with a certain idea. That's true. Do you guys both collaborate on design decisions? Have you guys kind of come together before this all started and decided this is the game we're going to make and sort of outlined how you guys are going to make it? How did that process work? Sure. Yeah. We so the original idea for this game. Um, I also have to include. Um, my brother, Doug, who is our, our main writer for the game, we were, the three of us were hanging out together and we had done like one little like weekend game jam on an unrelated game. And we were just talking about like, we were all playing a lot of XCOM at the time. The uh, XCOM, was it Enemy Unknown? Yeah. The first new was. XCOM had just mm-hmm. come out at the time and we were playing a lot of it. Like we were talking about, you know, what we really want to play is XCOM but in a fantasy setting. And at the time, I was really interested in learning 3D graphics, and like I kind of wanted to pull in that direction and do a bunch of procedural generation. And Doug wanted to, you know, write these stories and like basically, like what what would the what would the heroes of XCOM get up to in between the missions? What would they be talking about? Like who likes who? Who hates who? Like what are they doing on the sides and? I don't know. That was that was kind of the angle I was coming at it. From. Yeah. What if yeah. you added a bunch more character depth? More more character driven yeah. and a fantasy setting instead of sci-fi. And because it was a side project originally, we we had some very obvious constraints that we were just gonna do things that the people on the team wanted to do. And so that meant I mean that that instantly meant that we were gonna just do your your art style, right? right? Like we weren't even considering doing any kind of 3D art because nobody on the team had any interest in doing 3D art. Um, I was just learning at the time. I was just learning um, 
how to do 3D graphics as a side project. Like my job at Riot at the time was all um, 2D action script focused, actually. Um, so for me, I was right. it was just like a, as a as a way to learn like serious game engine development. And then kind of out of those constraints of who was on the team and what they wanted to work on, we started to like brew this whole thing together. And once we got, you know, a year or so in as a side project, it had a really coherent thing. Like there was a, a fairly solid vision of what the game wanted to be. And, and that hasn't really changed all that much since, although some of the contours of the features have. Yeah, that's true. So for those who don't know, and I, I don't know how many people know at this point. Tell us about <laughs> w- Wildermyth. I mean, I know you guys are going into early access next month, so I kind of want to prepare people for how awesome this game is. So tell me in your own words how awesome this game is and what, what the premise is. Sure, sure. So, I mean, Wildermyth is at a very high level. It's like Dungeons & Dragons crossed with XCOM. You have a bunch of heroes. They start off as farmers, and then over the course of their whole lives, they grow into epic fantasy heroes. Along the way, there are big character-defining choices that you run into like, uh, regularly, and those are actually procedurally driven. They're not. There's not one set story, so it's different every time you play. The characters have different uh, generated histories, names, personalities. They will form relationships, um, either or both naturally and and based on decisions that you explicitly make. And then basically in between missions, uh, usually like before every fight, there's there's a story. And often you can make a big choice related to that story. Often that's a, a character-defining choice. If, if heroes get wounded in combat, they will lose a limb. They can die. They'll retire. They'll have kids who will come in and join the company. And the entire arc of a single campaign takes maybe 70, 60 to 70 years of in-game time. So maybe a couple of your characters can make it the whole way, but most of them will retire out. And then characters that you love will go into your legacy and they're available to be rebooted into your next playthrough. So that's like the grand vision of what the game wants to be. And then we're doing a bunch of stuff with the papercraft aesthetic and the tactical turn-based combat, which is probably most similar to XCOM if you played that. And we deliver all of our stories through this comic style, which we developed about halfway through development, and it like completely turned our game upside down in a good way. Gosh, yeah, and there's a lot of parts to it. There's an overland <laughs> management part of the game too that's a lot, and then in between, there's the the major stories are, are structured into chapters, and in between you have intervals where time passes, and we have gosh five monster groups and one of whom in a certain playthrough is is sort of the terrorizing main. the yandering land has some some scheme going on and these these farmers have to rise to the occasion so right. see yeah. what their stories have in store in this playthrough which will be a surprise for everybody <laughs> i like it give them a little something to tease them with so can you tell me a little bit more about like the strategic part of the game so i know that like between missions, you're managing some sort of, I guess, a company or a group, right? Yeah, yeah. We call it a company. So um, you're making decisions about where to scout, where to fight, um, when to recruit. Building defenses. Building defenses, spending legacy points to cancel calamities, um, building stations, gathering resources, which are used to craft weapons. So that's sort of all going on at the overland strategic level and then the fights play that very much like if you injure somebody in a fight well if you 
in regular uh, injuries, they'll they'll need to recover. They'll need to heal up. And if they're actually um, maimed. maimed, then that's a longer recovery time, and that's sort of a character altering thing. And there's also sort of transformations that come into that that can really change your strategies. If you if you have a warrior that uses a two handed weapon, but they lose one of their arms, they're going to have to switch to a different weapon. And then, but they get a sweet hook. They get a sweet <laughs> hook. And then that could even get replaced with something more magical, depending on the stories that you run into. So that's the sort of strategic level. And the, the, the tactical level, the fights are all um, grid-based, turn-based combat on a grid with a squad. So yeah, very much similar to XCOM in the sort of turn structure, but not so much about aiming, more about like positioning. positioning. Uh, we also have some interesting mechanics that the mystics use instead of just casting fireballs they use something called interfusion where they're using objects on the battlefield to affect the enemy so like you can you're in a tower you can interfuse with this chest of drawers in the corner and that opens up an ability for you called splinter blast in which you can make it explode into shards shredding your enemy's armor and it's an aoe effect around it yeah or you can pull the fire out of a furnace and fling it at your enemies, that kind of a thing. So you're, you're using the environment. We try very hard to design the combat in order to make positioning really important because our maps have a lot of sort of procedurally generated scenery and some procedurally generated structure to them. And so because positioning is so important and the maps are a little bit different every time, um, it keeps the combat fresh. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think so too. Uh, the infusion mechanic I thought was really unique and something I've never seen before, which is really cool. So can you tell me more about how the general arc of the story works? So like basically you're working with your company, you're you're basically trying to do is set up a defense against this incoming invasion of sorts and working through the story? Yeah, the game has a, a we call them chapters. It's divided up into chapters, which three or five or maybe more in the future. And during each chapter, you have an, an overarching goal. So in chapter one, it might be, you know, find the base of this one group that's been attacking. And your map starts out, we do a, a, a tile-based map, sort of, these kind of mappy-looking tiles. And uh, your map starts out very small. And so you go, you, you might explore, say, six tiles or whatever, half a dozen tiles. You go, you find that enemy base, you knock them out, and you... Hooray, you defeat the chapter, you get some years of peace, you get to upgrade your weapons, you get a breather, and then chapter two starts. Your map expands, the threat is back, and you have a new goal, which is usually, again, go find <laughs> go find, find some, some big baddie and, yeah, and kill them. Most of the goals push you out into the map. Um, and this, yeah. so these three or five chapters will, will all work into a single campaign, and then... Um, uh, we're sort of right now working on producing um, storylines that we call villains mm -hmm. that, that give overarching meaning to all that. Uh, we have two of those in the game right now, and we're, we're going to release some more as we go. Yeah. Um, but then if you're not playing a villain, you sort of get um, kind of vanilla chapters that have generic, uh, more generic chapter goals. Find the base. Um, find, the, the boss, find the base whatever. to beat the boss. Um, and those are, yeah, so those are in there. Excellent. And can you tell me more about the RPG elements? Are, are your characters leveling up? Are they gaining skills, gaining uh, attribute points and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, so the biggest 
thing that I like one of our biggest strengths is visual character development, I think. Mm -hmm. So I think like when I think about our progression, it's it's about a third sort of regular class levels. So we have three classes, warriors, hunters, mystics. When you level up, you get a random choice from all the various, you know, classes and cross class abilities that we have. We, it's like you draw three cards. We, kind you draw of. draw three cards. You, you get, get to, to pick one. Get to pick one. That becomes your class ability for that level. Um, a third, about a third of the progression comes from that. About a third comes from gear, and the final third comes from what we call narrative progression, which is like you might find a wolf shrine in the wilderness, and if you pray to it, you could be transformed. You know, you could get a wolf head. And then if you lose your arm, it'll be replaced by a wolf arm. And that gives you this claw attack. And mm-hmm. that really changes your character. And there's a lot of these. These transformations are a big part of the variety um, of characters that you can build. And that's it's actually um, one of the huge strengths of our 2D art style. Mm-hmm. Because we can produce this content uh, really quickly and cost-effectively because we don't have to, you know, rig it and animate it in 3D. Um, and that's worked really well for us. And you don't so have we're to going pay an artist to... either. <laughs> <laughs> you do have to be at least kind of nice to her. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'll get all surly if somebody asks too much. <laughs> I think Nate is much nicer, actually, with our team about accommodating new requests and saying, you know what, we can make that work. Whereas I'm sitting there going, nah, <laughs> somebody will produce it. Nah, that sounds hard. Nah. <laughs> I, I have to admit, so hearing you say that, that sounds really awesome to hear that kind of like dynamic gameplay. It's it's something that I personally really enjoy. And it, it, funny enough, I just had a podcast where I was talking to somebody, a friend of mine, and I was telling them that I thought 2D art styles are much more timeless than I think 3D art styles are because... I, for me, 3D art styles, they eventually go out of fashion, right? Like eventually you get better at 3D art. Mm. Whereas like 2D art always has a, like it has a timeless feel to it. You can always go back to, you know, like hell and in, in maybe five years, Wildermyth, you can look back and be like, oh, that's a unique art style that you can't, you can't make that a better art style. You, it's, it's always going to be its own unique thing. So can you tell me a little bit about how you like develop that art style, Annie? And, and maybe have you always drawn your whole life? Yeah, definitely. No, I like what you said about 2D art. It's true. The history of 2D art is uh, it's thousands of years longer than the history. Of, well, sculpture, but that's that's different. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, we're still, the curve of 3D art and what's possible with it is still going up it's pretty fast. Up really fast yeah. yeah, whereas 2D art, it's, you know, kind is of it? leveled out around <laughs> the Renaissance, maybe. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I know you can't personally enjoy this as much, but like, I mean, growing up as an 80s kid playing video games, I, you know, like I can look back on like the 90s, the Super Nintendo era, and yeah. those graphics still look great to me. I still think, wow, like yes. that, when you yeah. when you really knock out like really good pixel art, it just looks great. Yeah. But if you look at a 90s like 3D game, you're like, oh my God, please make it go away. <laughs> So, so I think when you look at Wildermyth, uh, five years, ten years from now, you're gonna be like, wow, you know that that art style is so unique and it just fits the game well, and it doesn't, it just doesn't age like you know maybe its 3D counterpart. Oh gosh, yeah, no, that's I hope that's true. That's, I hope that's true. 
That's that sounds like a wonderful advantage. <laughs> yeah, don't hold me to it though. If yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I no. do think that. So mm-hmm. I mean, like, how did you develop your art style? I don't I don't know much about. I'm not an artist myself, unfortunately. I wish I was because I would love to draw things like you do. But like, how did you develop your art style? Because it is unique. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I've uh, I've been drawing my whole life. Um. I've had a, a few different schools going in there. I was one of those kids who grew up on on Disney movies. And and that I think is is deeply embedded in my psyche. That's awesome. Um, and so, but that's mixed with you know some more traditional um, instruction about um, you know perspective and color theory and all that stuff. Uh, as far as our style, it's it's um. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> How would you? I might need some help with this. Well, it's, when it's, it's your own style, it's, it's really hard to talk about. The characters are definitely started as your natural style, your quickest, right. Which is most a, natural style. A right? relatively, I mean, cartoony, I would call it. Sure. I don't know if that gives the wrong impression. You're not looking at it, but sure, um, yeah. yeah, you have the the outline strokes. You have kind of the beady little eyes, trying to keep them expressive. Expressive, but simple. And not simple, exactly. Yeah, if they're over-rendered, I think it's hard to get a lot of life in them. Yeah. And the, unless you're really willing to go the distance. And they lose flexibility. There's a lot of flexibility, so the, yeah. The art we have now is super flexible. You can read so many different, like, weird little expressions. Yeah, we can make a dozen expressions per yeah. person because they are very quick strokes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's not it's not quite as flat of a color as traditional animation, but um, everything's you know. It, I think we picked I picked a few Photoshop brushes and said, "All right, this is it. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is how we're texturing. This is how we're shading." And even even that has evolved because we've been working on this game for like five years. And so sometimes I'll find an older piece. I think I think older pieces, the older stuff like the Borgen and. Mm was a lot more, um, it's closer to like a Wind Waker kind of a style. Or oh, a, sure, a yeah. Secret of Kells kind of a style. Those yeah, were two, yeah. two big influences. Yeah. And um, actually, I think they've moved on. I was going to say that I think the Wind Waker style is actually a really good description of it because I think that's actually the, the tone, the feel that I get when I look at it. So anyone who's familiar with Wind Waker, that would, I think that definitely has yeah. an appeal there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that'd be a good way to go. Yeah, kind of strong outlines, lots of lots of swirlies, kind of simplified, <laughs> big expressions. Yeah, yeah. Bright colors, kind of a thing. Uh, the environments were a journey. The environments sure. like, were. We tried so many different things, just to, like to figure out how we we're gonna make we these spaces. We wanted a three D space to move right. around in, but we kept trying to do it with a rotating, with a fully rotating camera. And it just, just kept I finally going. asked you one day. It might have been one of the crying. <laughs> it was a long journey with these. I said, can we just can we just not fully rotate the camera? Yeah. Because I can't I can't get this scenery to work. You're gonna be looking at it. Yeah. Edge on. Yeah. It's not gonna work. And I think I, it ended up it ended up being okay that you're not able to rotate the camera 360 degrees. It makes you feel more like you're in a like a little paper diorama. You can kind of zoom in and out. And yeah. And, and the then flat we, trees are kind of going past you, and stuff. and then we so were able to really start playing up that sort of board game aesthetic too, yeah. and like putting a little edging on the on pieces. That was a big that yeah, helped a lot. that helped a lot. And we finally could, finally get to the point where it, where it didn't look awful. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I could do these um, 
these 2D scenery pieces. Yeah. But in the 3D environment, they were looking a little out of place without yeah without some of the treatment that we were giving them. Mostly the edges. Yeah. Um, sort of 3D edges that they get. And yeah, I think it was people would mention that word paper craft and we hadn't really thought of it that way. We thought of it as, you know, Annie's drawing some, drawing some images and saving them out as paintings and we put them in there. Right. Started to own it. Yeah. Started to lean into that. Lean into it. Yeah. And that informed. No, it's true. It never started as we're going to make a paper craft. No, 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 no. It was just like, these are the drawings we have. Right. And we have to work with them. Yeah. Yeah. But once we did that informed, (laughs) that informed like a lot of the user interface and, and a lot of the art that came after that. Yeah. I love the little touch of like how the the characters move. They almost look like you're picking them up and like moving them across the hexes. Yeah. I love that. It's, that. Yeah. It's it's yeah, a really so unique. In addition to not having any 3D artists, we do not have any animators on the team. That's right. We're using um, a program called Spine, which is meant for character animation. But we realized early on that if if we want to be able to switch out everybody's weapons and their heads and their arms and their outfits and their they have wings or they don't have wings we can't we can't be animating fully somebody drawing a bow and and letting it go yeah and And, and not only could we i mean like it's not to say that we can't do it but we didn't want to do it oh it would be so much time no i didn't want to do it and you didn't want years we made a decision really early on that we were just going to optimize the game around the people who were excited to make it Right. And so we just decided to go with the simplest animation style that we could. And yeah, like totally calling back to those board games where you're playing Hero Quest and you're like moving your guy across the board, clop, clop, clop. And that's, I think, our melee attack. We were trying a few yeah. different things and finally it was just now. You know, when you have a little, yeah. a little piece on a board, what do you do? You pick him up and you kind of go rah, 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 and you like, yeah. you hit the other guy with it. And that, yeah. that ended up being what we went with yeah yeah just leaning into that paper craft board game yeah kind of feel yeah and it's unique and i definitely i think it plays to the general feel of the game the atmosphere too so i think you guys have done great with that and it's just great that you guys happen to be working that like that together and that one of you guys programs well and one of you has a very unique and and colorful and and fun art style so if I'm looking at an old PC game box and I'm looking at like the bullet points of what makes Wildermyth unique, what would you say would be on that box? Ooh. Um, let's see. The character-driven... Highly, highly customizable characters. Yeah. Not I've... just in the like, oh, we have whatever, 35 different noses you can put on your guy. <laughs> Not just like that, but but huge like body transformations. Um any piece of gear that you get shows up on this guy. And suddenly, suddenly when you have your warrior, when he suddenly gets his like his fancy gold necklace strap, yeah. it really turns him around all yeah. of a sudden. It adds a touch of class. And suddenly you think about that guy totally differently. Like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And then when he's 60 years old and retiring and his daughter is joining <laughs> the group. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so I, yeah, definitely like extreme character depth, um, customization. And procedural narrative. Uh, we've put a ton of work into mm-hmm. our our procedural storytelling, um, and we're really proud of that. So your characters will have different personalities, and those you'll you'll notice that as you play. Yeah, procedural narrative, extreme character depth. There's always three bullet points. Yeah, you have I don't to have know. three. That's like. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm also proud Something of about like, the combat. Um, 
the combat, but also that we're not falling into the um, simple fantasy tropes that we've tried to make conscious decisions. We don't we That's don't true. have dwarves and elves and, and orcs and goblins, and those things are fine. But like, not every fantasy world needs all those things. Right. We try not to have. There aren't peasants. There aren't kings. There aren't armies. There aren't. Right. We tried to get away from the the medieval sort of social setup. I mean, they're still they're still at that like technological level, but we didn't want to be um, linked. You know, Tell, it, telling those two familiar stories over right. again. Yeah. 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 You almost sort of feel tied down in ways, and now you can sort yeah. of express yourself in much more unique ways, right? Right. I think that allowed us to, with the writing as well, to to give our characters a much more kind of a modern voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, come on, guys, let them have a little fun. Yeah. Let your characters make a joke. I don't know. I like that. Yeah, those, those are good bullet points. That's a good box. I'm, I'm excited about it. So um, <laughs> You can write all of that on the box. If yeah, <laughs> that's a long-ass box. So quick question yeah. to you guys. I mean, who do you think this game will appeal to? Are, are, is it for the XCOM fan? Is it for strategy game fans? Is it for everybody? <laughs> yeah. Never say it's so, for everybody. Um, I think it's, yeah, people, people who like Dungeons & Dragons and want a sort of single-player experience where they can get into... Um, some tactics and strategies and grow to love their characters um, are going to like Wildermyth. Definitely, if you like XCOM, I think it's a pretty good bet. Um, if you like XCOM and Dungeons & Dragons, if you played Banner Saga, uh, Darkest Dungeon, Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. My co-founder and my comrade in arms, a really good guy, his name is Nate. He's a huge XCOM fan. In fact, Every every week we do a weekly exchange and we talk about the games we're playing and XCOM two is on his list for awesome. I, don't know, I don't know how long. It was way too long. Every yeah, every week it was XCOM two. So I would imagine oh, this game would probably appeal to him. Yeah, we played a bunch of XCOM. We did. Not lately because we have kids, but <laughs> we were working yeah. on this game, so we're <laughs> But yeah. I got a lot of hours out of that one. It's a great game. Both of them are really good. So Tell me a little bit about early access. I understand you guys are going to early access next month, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're super excited. We've been, uh, so far we've been in beta on HIO and that's been going really well. But um, it's March. March, yeah. Yeah. We're finally in a place where we are stable. We've gotten in the major uh, new features that we wanted to. So going into early access on Steam November 13th. And, And what that means is we're not finished with the game by any means we've got there's five enemy groups right now we have stories for two of them so at the very minimum we've got to get uh the other three stories into the game so there's a full campaign experience for each of our five enemy groups we've got a few other major things that we'd love to hit the game is in english only right now and we get a lot of requests for translations and we'll have to feel that out as we go. There is a lot of text in the game and we are self-funded. So um, it's just going to be a matter of making sure that like the success of the game justifies the expense of translating it. But we would be super excited to do that uh, if we can. Uh, and there's a bunch bunch of other ideas, tons more content that we could add, many more stories to tell and, and polish up. Um, That's the thing. I think we built this, we built this, this content machine that can deliver art and stories yeah. and abilities and campaigns and I, we're just now really getting the last few months we've been really getting it rolling yeah and that's been super 
exciting yeah. to see how. Yeah, the pace to... of content has gotten really fast. Which yeah. Is, yeah, it's really exciting. We so built I think... this game to be able to hold an almost infinite amount of content. So, <laughs> well, not infinite. A large, <laughs> they made a face just now. Well, no, a very large yeah. amount. Very large amount of content. Um, and so another thing we're looking at is uh, opening it up to modders. So we're actually working on a Steam Workshop integration. It's not announced yet. Or, well, anyway. We're it working. is now. Yeah, I just want to say, you, you just sort of did that. <laughs> a soft <laughs> announcement there. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, if we can get it working, we, we, we're super excited um, to try to get it working. Um, yeah, and open up our content creation tools, which we've spent a lot of time on. Um, so people can make their own comics, make their own stories, even even make their own campaigns and then share those. I think that would be really powerful because our game accommodates that really well because you can kind of let the procedural generation carry most of the load. If you want to tell a story, you really only need to tell your part of the story and the game will do the rest. Um, so I think it's a really good fit for amateur um, amateur game makers or dungeon masters who, who want to stretch out a little bit and make make a cool scenario that the friends can play. Um, so that's a, another big ambition that we have. Yeah. Yeah, no, and early access, I think, was a good fit because, because we have a bunch of content that we want to add. And because we're self-funded, we can't... It's hard to get the testing. Um, <laughs> the it's testing true. Yeah, uh, like, band. like, we can't afford... Well, yeah, we really can't afford... An to, army. An army theory. to test all the things and, like... So I think early access is a good fit in that, you know, we haven't had thousands and thousands of hours of QA testing. And so it's, I feel like that kind of, yeah, it's, it, lets, it, us, right it lets us explore. <laughs> yeah. It lets us explore a yeah. little bit more because we're still definitely exploring content. We're still exploring what kind of, what kinds of stories work and what kinds of stories we want to make in the future. Yeah. And so we're still, we're still really open to feedback. We want to hear from people. We want to hear people's ideas, what they like, what they don't like, what they would be really excited to see. And I think being in early access kind of gets that message across that we're we're still we're still listening. We're still working on this thing. Yep. It's going to be it's a long journey. It's not finished by any means. Yeah. So that was actually my next question. I heard you say you're you guys have been developing for five years now. Yeah, it was kind of off and on, but yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, all right. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. So, I mean, once you hit early access November 13th, how long do you think that you guys plan to stay there? Is it, do you have like a six month roadmap that you guys have in mind or do you have a year long roadmap? I mean, what's it look like for you guys? So I think that six months we could definitely hit some kind of 1.0, you know, finishing up the major villains, getting controller support. And I want to do a UI pass. UI pass. Yeah. That, that could definitely be a six month project. But um, if the game's doing well, uh, we're happy to keep working on it. Like it's really fun. Even um, after 1.0, yeah. Yeah, and after 1.0, like we we can keep adding content for a long time, uh, as long as it's doing well and making sense to do so. So, um, I mean, that's the dream is is to really is get momentum, get an audience that that wants the stuff, and we'll be so thrilled to just keep delivering it. Um, that's that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, maybe in five years when you're still working on it, we'll still be like, yeah, it still looks great. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dream. That's man. the dream. Yeah. There's still demand for this five years that's, after yeah, the fact. Yeah, super cool. And that's that's all we could ask for. From what I've seen, I, I'm 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 personally very excited. The game, of course, 
appeals to me because I'm a strategy RPG fan. And I, like I said, the art style is something that is really unique. And I love the idea of that kind of dynamic stuff that you're talking about, you know, like praying to a wolf temple and becoming a werewolf or something like that. That sounds great to me. So is there anything else you guys want to tell me or tell the audience that we haven't said or talked about yet that you'd want them to know about Wildermyth? Uh, gosh, I don't know. It's, it's $20. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got a bunch of people like on. Good. We think it's value. a good value. Uh, we've got a bunch value. of people on Discord who have put many, many, many hours into it. Um, so join us on Discord. Um, yeah. we're, we're listening. We, we want to be here for you. We want, we would love to, you know, to make the game what, what the players want it to be. Right. Well, that sounds great. I'm in. So, um, and it's definitely something that we'll be watching and keeping an eye on. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the game progresses and how you guys evolve and, and take it from here. So good luck to you guys. I'm rooting for you because I, I've i only spoken to you for half an hour, but I, I've grown to like you in the half hour. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends up progressing and getting to 1.0. So good luck. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely. We should do it again sometime. I'd love to check in with you maybe six months from now and see where you guys are and how you guys feel about everything. So um, thanks for joining me. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. This was Rob for Explominate. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, keep exploring. Something in the woods is very strange. Creatures lurking suffer worse than me. Oh,